Welcome to the Ignite Podcast, the only healthcare marketing podcast that digs into the digital strategies and tactics that help you accelerate growth. Each week, Cardinals experts explore innovative ways to build your digital presence and attract more patients. Buckle up for another episode of Ignite. What's going on, everybody? This is going to be fun. Welcome to Ignite. This is going to be a little bit of a different flavor. We usually bring you uh, vanilla or chocolate. Today's going to be Vanilla Foot Swirl. It's going to be a delicious, delicious podcast. We're going to talk about not just the marketing side, but we're more going to focus on the investment side. I've got Steve Grass and Craig Sager here from Provident, and they're going to talk to us about what it means to be a really successful practice in today's day and age and what it means to successfully go to market and sell that practice. Now, if you're a marketing director and you're listening to this and you're saying, hey, man, usually I'm getting marketing tips from this fool. Why is he bringing on this investment banker, guys? There's a bigger reason for all of us doing marketing. We always have to remember, why are we marketing the provider groups that we're marketing, right? So eventually help them get acquired to grow, to seek additional funding to grow, to bring in the tuckins, to do all of this stuff. And these guys are going to help us understand from the business, the finance side, what it means to run a successful practice. And then when you start incorporating that into your marketing plans, that CMO, you're going to get that CMO job a lot faster. You're going to get buying from the leadership team for all new initiatives. This is the language we need to be speaking as marketing directors. We have to understand the business implications of what we're doing and what it means. We've also got Lauren Leone, our chief growth officer. Y'all know her. She's on every one of these and you know she's the smarter one of us too. So she'll be asking quite a bit of questions. Craig, Steve, welcome to Ignite. How are we doing? Doing well. Thanks, Alex. It's good to meet you all. I'm a vice president at the firm. I've been in, uh, I work in the Boston office. This is where we're headquartered, uh, working from home today, but been in banking for about 10 years. I've spent the last six or so with Provident and I focus most of my efforts within the behavioral health space. So I'll spend probably 60, 70% of my time within the space, you know, working with founders, owners, operators. They look to explore what their transaction options may be. So excited to get started on this. Yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks. And Craig, please tell me you and Steve are not Patriots fans. Or are you still? You need to be still if you were through the whole last 17 years. What's the deal? Yeah, we we are we're both kind of call it suburb Boston, born and raised. So uh we are Patriots fans. Not not so good these days. We're loyal, so we're gonna stick with it. Uh you gotta stick with it because you've been rubbing in all our faces. Twenty eight to three. Matt Ryan just retired. Look at this. This is all I got. This is the best shirt because I can't get a good Falcon shirt. So this is the one I have. Okay. We love Falcon marketing. That's what unites us. That's what unites us. Okay. We're, we've moved on. Lauren, how you doing? You okay? I'm great. Okay. Happy to be all right. on this side, not hosting, just joining. Yeah. You don't have to do the thinking. You just get to <laughs> answer and spit some game at us. Craig, so why are we talking, my man? What does Provident do? Why should people be looking at Provident Healthcare Partners when they're looking for an investment? And then we'll talk about what you guys are seeing, what makes a great behavioral group from a substandard behavioral group. And that is widening now that you can't just go get tons of profit and then sell the bigger thing. So tell us about Provident and tell us about the behavioral market and what makes a great practice. Yeah, absolutely. And again, thanks for having us on, Alex and and Lauren. So Provident Healthcare Partners is a sell-side M&A advisory firm, i.e. investment bank. We also do debt raises and capital raises, but our bread and butter is M&A advisory services. It's actually our 25th anniversary this year. So we're pumped about that. Uh, so 1998 was where we uh, the building blocks were put in place. And, you know, since day one, we have only played in the healthcare services arena. We have not ventured out into retail or industrials or other spaces. We really like to stay in our lane and be experts there. So essentially what, what we do, we predominantly do recaps and buyouts. 
for healthcare service organizations. And what that means really is for organizations that are looking for not just capital, but a strategic partner to maybe take them to the next chapter or the next goals they want to hit. We really, what we have to say, become that river guide. So we help them navigate those waters. Who are the potential partners? It's not all about, like to say, it's not about price tag. It's really about the underlying terms, fit. What is the playbook for the next five to seven years? So again, we we really are the quote unquote middleman in that process and work with our organization. So we find them the right partner. Yeah, I like that. The river guide, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, we got them, guys. We got them here on, on Ignite. You didn't know I could bring them back to light. We got magical powers, healing powers here. Lauren, we were just at the McGuire Woods Conference last week. That, that'll that date us here on when this is going to launch the McDermott thing this week. You know, one thing we heard last week was everybody needs to be integrated and have a unique value proposition. It's no longer good enough to just throw tons of profit into the mix, right? And then we'll have Craig and Steve talk to that a little bit. As a marketer, Lauren, what's one thing we learned last week that, multi-site PE back provider groups should be doing for the marketing front to make it more attractive. As yeah, it, it's all about integrations in a way that you can bring, whether it be through technology, through the team, through the capability, through the cross selling of services, that you're one entity and not just 17 different companies that happen to share one parent company name. And, you know, I thought it was really interesting that integration is sometimes at the intersection with what is like convenient and easy and how do we not burden these providers? How are groups taking that burden on and making it easier for them and integrating at the same time? Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that. And I, and we heard from a variety of groups, like some, some of them will integrate things and some will keep independent at the local level. I'm like very confused at what it takes. So maybe Steve can help us out here. Steve, on the clinical side, when looking at ops from the clinical side, what do you think are the most important things for an org to keep in mind? The clinical quality, or like, do you look at anything behind the scenes to ops process? Or like, what do you what do you guys look at? Yeah, I would say all of the above. I think what's the most important, single most important thing for a business that operates in the behavioral health space is clinical quality. That's the name of the game, and I think as a business scales and continues to grow, it's really important to be able to maintain that clinical quality as a company grows into the next chapter of its of its life cycle. And that can mean a, a number of different things. You know, there's outcome tracking tools that you can leverage to measure quality. There's clinical staffing and clinical structure models as well. You know, how are some of the providers utilized? Where is the staffing ratios? All that stuff becomes important. And I think, you know, you, you need to have the protocols in place from a clinical and operational side of things to be able to win market share in this world and differentiate yourselves from, because there's a stratification among among providers as in any other space where there's, you know, really quality providers and then some others that are, you know, suboptimal. And that's the biggest differentiator in our mind. Same thing with the agency work. It's all about outcomes. It's all about outcomes and big strata difference. I think Cardinal Smith. Lauren, when we are looking at different things, like Steve mentioned a lot on the outcome side and making sure that you have better quality there. Do we do anything on the marketing side that outline outcomes for our clients? Is that like a big selling proposition or everyone claims that we have the best outcomes? There's no way to quantify any of that. You know, you see like every site now has adopted things like, you know, the stats like module on your website that's going to talk about these are the types of, you know, or the number of people that we've treated, the number of families that we've helped. I think when you're on like the B2B side of it, you're talking to an audience of potential groups that are looking to roll up or sell their practice into you. You're yeah. talking about, you know, maybe how you've 
you know, worked with payers to, you know, renegotiate contracts to have a more value-based care approach to, you know, essentially like lower costs on all fronts and bring more value to the end patient. So you, I think you can quantify those things in a number of ways. It really just depends on your audience and what they want to hear or what they need to see. I think in behavioral too, the outcomes aren't necessarily just numbers. It's things like some innovative treatment options. We see a lot, you know, with treatment resistant depression, like what services are you bringing to the table Uh, by integrating certain practice groups? You can then make this service available to a wider subset that maybe didn't have it before. Or how are you bringing services online and making it more convenient for both the provider and the patient to get together? So I think those are all the outcomes that we might be talking about. I like that Steve also mentioned staff planning and stuff like that. As marketers, we're being asked to do a lot more recruitment and staff recruitment training support, all that kind of fun stuff, talent acquisition support. So demand planning, staff planning, all that kind of fun stuff. We don't just find patients anymore. We find not clinicians, but support staff for clinicians. So all big part of it. Okay, Craig, tell us about what the most successful groups are doing. If you want to hone in on behavioral, even better. What are some common themes that you see these guys doing that are better than the other groups that are coming to you say, we want to sell and you say, guys, y'all need to be more like X. We're not quite there. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's a great question. I think people get into, we'll say behavioral health for a couple of reasons, right? Some people are clinicians by trade or there was a family member that was diagnosed or going through you know certain conditions. And so they want to get back and, and be helping hand. Other people are in it for the money, right? And everything in between. But I say, you know, in terms of the the winners, and I'm not going to call them losers because everyone in this space is very noble work, but the the all-stars, right? I think Steve did first. It, clinical excellence is bar none. You have to have that. And a lot of times people are just growing to grow, but you know, what what is good growth, right? And you kind of have to have the building blocks infrastructure in place. And with that, it's it's, it's really having your, your IT systems, your regulatory, your compliance teams, maybe someone that sits a part of revenue cycle management, you actually, when you think about operationally, you had key performance indicators in place and really track what's working, what's not working. What are we striving to be? If you're able to have, again, those foundational items in place and referral sources start to buy in, you're, you're doing family education and you're really tracking those outcomes, then the growth will kind of come in itself, right? You don't have to go chase it you kind of have that already in place and, and it kind of comes to you. Yeah. Do you see the more lucrative or the more interesting behavioral groups? Do they have a strong telehealth component or are they mostly interesting because they just have enough therapists they, ready? So like, what is, is this telehealth important when they go to sell? It's an important offering, but the best groups don't lead with it, right? It, it's an answer and offering for okay. many people in rural uh, communities or for certain situations where it, late in the night, they can't get to the clinic or they can't get to the facility. But most people are, it's going to be an in-person treatment. Yeah. It seems to be, I think I saw a stat today from uh, Chris Larson, Behavioral Health Network, 70% still prefer in-person, but 30%, even some of the older demographics are doing a lot of telehealth. So I think that's give or take. I like in-person first, and then we can do video. Same thing with uh, other humans in our life. I have a question that I'll kind of apply to the marketers. Like, what is a behavioral health group more attractive if they've developed their own marketing machine or does it matter? Like, is it okay if they're 100% driven by PCP referrals or word of mouth? Or is it like, you're going to get a higher multiple if you built a marketing machine through whatever mean Google advertising, Facebook, SEO, local activation. Does that factor in? 
to their multiple or how well they can sell. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it absolutely does, right? I mean, I think word of mouth is a great way to grow, right? It means you're doing something right. The community is is behind you, referral sources behind you. But if you have a differentiator in terms of you know robust digital marketing or other kind of marketing angles, and you're able to scale at a faster clip than Joe Schmo down the street or competitors, like that's absolutely something that people can get behind, and it's more scalable. Okay. Okay. Good. 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 You heard it here. And marketing directors of behavioral health provider groups, that's one way you can get more buzz. You can say, hey, listen, like, I know what we're trying to do because we're feedbacked. We need this thing to roll up in the next couple of years. If we're able to show that we can build our own marketing machine, we're going to be able to sell this thing faster, going to get a higher multiple, we're going to be more attractive, telehealth components, semi-important too. Build the marketing machine for these things. All right. Thanks, Greg. Steve, we've talked on the operations side a little bit on digital, like, financial economics what have you guys seen in the companies you guys have worked with payer mix revenue like what are you guys seeing currently and this is march of 2023 i feel like every month we're going to get a different answer important that we date ourselves there yeah i think two things one quality of revenue is important in the the different sources that it's derived from so if you think about referral sources funding sources what your payer mix is you want to avoid any sort of concentration risk because you know ultimately valuation is a function of it's a function of the growth of the cash flows of the business, but also risk. And concentration risk is inherently risky. And so having a diverse set of referral sources, diverse payer mix, you know, being in networking, having sort of cleaner revenue cycle, those are all things that kind of play into play into the quality of revenue that's important for for groups that are looking at these businesses. And you know, I mentioned growth too. And Craig also touched on it too, growth, not just for growth's sake, but you know, being thoughtful and focused around growth. I think density is really important. As you continue to scale the business, there are some groups that kind of fall for, you know, pins on the map syndrome. And, you know, I think it's it's more important to build density in core markets. And and you know, that really comes into play when you approach the payers and provide some, some ammunition and leverage as you, you know, come to the table for some of those negotiations. Yes, Steve. So what are you trying to do to like show like we don't just have one location in Atlanta, we have 10 providers there and we're in all of the sub markets within Atlanta. What What is the best thing to show there? It's good to have satellite offices or no, like hotel, the therapy desk and and just get tons of therapists in one area. What's the best thing to do? Honestly, even in a given market in adjacent markets, just building out offices and a presence and winning market share in your core regions and even satellite offices just outside of that core catchment area. There are some groups that kind of bounce from state to state that may be, you know, in disparate regions, but I think building density in in your core geography and core region is what's what's most important what and what most groups are looking for. Yeah. Craig, I'll punt this one over to you. When you guys are evaluating uh viability of of a of a group, do y'all look at the talent acquisition system that they have, like from open job rec to placement, what kind of marketing support they have, how much they're spending to get each placement from Indeed or LinkedIn ads or none of that factors in. Is anyone looking at that stuff? No, no, for sure. I mean, on our initial request list, every time we look at a business to try and understand kind of what it looks like under the hood, we always ask about retention rate and what is your staffing approach. The best groups have a pretty robust kind of systems in place, whether that be an applicant track system or something that's tied to HR. One of my former companies, we had a head of talent acquisition, probably had seven or eight people underneath him. And behavioral health specifically, right? It's, it's a high turnover industry and that's okay, right? I mean, you want to retain people, but you have to understand that that's just, that's just kind of par for the course. So you have to have some tools 
and certainly people in place that can constantly find uh, talent and keep them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not easy. Lauren, as we help, and we have, I mean, behaviorals are the biggest chunk of our business here. And you heard it from them, like sustained revenue growth. Like when you think about it from a marketing perspective, what are the things that we do that just don't just make patient acquisition shoot off? But like, what do these groups need to do to build sustained revenue growth? Is it just the foundational digital marketing stuff? What are we talking? I mean, a lot of the foundational pieces, well, a lot of what everyone throws their money at is the is what's pay to play, right? So it's great while you're in it, but if you're not in it, you're not getting it, right? You're not getting the activity. And I think what a lot of people tend to do is want to get quick results. And so you throw a bunch of focus there and really challenging clients, people that we partner with, people that I speak to that never become clients, but I get you know a chance to speak with them is to think about what your brand value propositions are because what makes you unique is not that you're convenient. It's not that you have 4.8 you know, star reviews. Like, I mean, those yeah. are great. I, those are almost like necessities to do business nowadays. And you have to think above and beyond that. And, you know, I was actually curious. I have a question for, for Stephen Craig, but I think organizations have to have a mission bigger than just what they are. They all care about something. And oftentimes, like at least the younger generations, they're not always just buying your product or service. They believe in you and what you stand for. So they're willing to give you your business instead of the guy down the road. And I don't know if you all factor that in. It's kind of this like unquantifiable it factor, but is the vision and the purpose and kind of how they position themselves in the marketplace, something that you all consider when you're you're looking at valuation? I guess I'll ask Steve that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely more qualitative, but you can see it like the second you talk to some of these founders and owners and just how mission-driven they are. For the most part, you know, those are the groups that are successful, um, that have a true passion for what they do. And it, and it shows in, you know, in their business performance, their financial performance a lot of times and shows really well with prospective partners. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you're approaching the market, looking, you know, exploring your transaction options, you're exploring partnership options. And there needs to be philosophical and cultural alignment between founders, owners, and, you know, the, the group that they ultimately partner with. That's more important than, you know, economics of a deal or, um, you know, some of the more quantifiable components of the deal. I would, well. I would just add that too. It's, that's all right. Is one of the first things we do, and certainly any potential partner or investor is we always go on site, you meet the management team or the owner, the entrepreneur, and we always have them tour a clinic or a facility or where they do business, right? And it's really, you can get both ends of the spectrum, right? Where just sort of the the culture and the people and the way they react with the owner can be great and really positive. And other times you can kind of tell like they're very distant or there's not a good culture. And I think when you think about going to market and having a transaction, buyers can see that real quick. Right. And so that's stuff they're always looking for that you can't you can't quantify. And that that perfectly kind of sums up, you know, in a, in a much bigger version of what we think about on the marketing front, which is the same applies to the patients. Right. You can sit there and put words on a website that say we are this, we are that showing them and not telling them, letting them, you know, open it up and, and let them see that for themselves through video content, through you know, featuring your providers through testimonials of the patients that have had life-changing experiences with your, you know, whether it be through talk therapy or something like TMS or medication, whatever it is. But I think the same thing applies, right? You can see right through it and you know who's really who's really doing it for a purpose and who's doing it, you know, for the economics. So 
everything you've said kind of is a, we're a bit of a microcosm of what's going on uh, in your all's world. What is the number one concern, guys, when the provider's looking at sales, like, I'm going to lose control over this thing and just be a cog in the big machine? Like, how do how do y'all overcome that? Is it by bringing them into a partnership, burnout? They have to stick around. Like, I've seen the, the clinical quality just drop off on some of these groups that are acquiring a lot, and then the providers leave because it becomes yeah. a machine. How do, how do you I mean, set that up? So that's not a good answer, but it's definitely case by case. But I think at the end of the day, most of these owners, right? Like this business right. is their baby. They put blood, sweat, and tears into it for years, sometimes 30, 40 years. And they've, they're they obviously, Somebody. it's time, not only to, to sort of sunset or exit the business, but it's time to take the next step. And whether it's professionalizing business or just having someone else run the day-to-day, whatever you're giving up, majority there's just a control ego thing there right and that's why you're generally get some proceeds with the deal but i would say it's it's definitely finding the person that you can trust to sort of carry on what you've built right and that's really hard to figure out through even dinner meetings and and so we constantly say don't talk to everyone under the sun but you got to talk to enough different cohorts of partners or investors and understand really what is it going to be like to work with them and then do, do sort of reference checks and understand how they've worked with other founders in the past. And try to find the deals that didn't go through with them or that fell apart right. that they don't list right. on one of their portfolio sites that, that fell apart. Try to find those. Maybe a lot of these providers, you know, something that scares me uh, about some of these provider groups that look to sell is that they meet some PE firms and they sell without going through a process or hiring a banker. Steve, what are your thoughts on that? Obviously, it's worth hiring you guys. Tell them the big pitfalls. Like, what what's the danger there if they just, they know a PE firm with lots of healthcare services in their portfolio. I feel good about it. I'm going to do it. I don't need Steve and Craig. Yes, yeah, I mean, there. it's not often you get to sell a business that you've built over the last 20, 30 years. And so you really want to do it right. And you want to professionalize the process. And, you know, I think hiring a bank is just a signal to the market that, this is a professionalized process, that it's a competitive process. Groups aren't going to be able to, you know, fully take advantage of some of the unsophistication of some of our clients. And, you know, they're going to be competing with other prospective partners as well. And so they know they need to put their best foot forward. And so structuring a well-organized process and being able to kind of control the narrative to the market, putting together marketing materials, putting together the financial model sort of increases the probability that a deal is likely to close and, and, you know, in most cases, maximizes valuation for the seller as well. Yeah. Yeah. And also you guys know the real players and you also know the PE firms that are going to just run them over and stuff like that. So the, the consult from you guys on who to, who to talk to and who to stay away from, I, I imagine is, is invaluable. Even yeah. if the first bite is slightly less sticking around, second bite much bigger. Yeah, we know how all these funds have performed. We know case studies, good outcomes, bad outcomes, how groups behave through a process, how they behave and diligence once they go exclusive. You know, how often have their deals actually gone through where they where they yeah. have an LOI signed? So all that comes into play as you uh, kind of vet your options. How's this year going to be? What's our prognostication, Craig? What are we thinking? Is it the year of the tuck-in? Are we still seeing platforms for money drying up, interest rates going up? What do you? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think I think we're gonna be okay. I think we're we're provident plays, right? We're we sit nicely in the lower middle market, so our average deal size is call it fifty to one hundred and fifty million of enterprise value. We've gone above. We will go below in certain spaces, but this space is not as affected as say the bulls brackets or the the mega buyouts where it's a billion dollars plus and 
kind of go and get debt raises or or writing a, a, a check to fund the deal, it's much harder, right? So there's still areas that investors and, and the ledgers have to be cautious about. We're still very bullish and optimistic. And I think it'll still be more at add-ons or, or tuck-ins over the next, call it 12 months. But I mean, we went to JPM uh, two months ago and undoubtedly behavioral health, if we if read the numbers, is the most popular space in healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we get a new ABA lead or therapy lead just about every day. So yeah, we're going to be fine. Can you invite me to this JPN? <laughs> this Jamie guy? Like, for uh, invite? How do I go to this thing? You Everybody's going to pay a lot of money. Thing. You got to kiss a lot of rings and just, you know, network like crazy. But no, it's it. It's okay. Well, y'all let me see your rings. I'll, I'll be out in Boston and kiss them. And when I, something came from these rings, what do we have? We're both having kids in the next month. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's okay. It's 2023. You know, we're in investment banking and we had a kiss together. You know, you never know. Uh, that's exciting. Boys or girls? Steve, what, which one is it? Boy. Boy as well. Boy, what about you, Craig? <laughs> yeah, that's the way to go. Don't let him say that, Lauren. That's the way to go. Lauren's got boys. I have she a, likes my oldest is a son, too. So I, I think it's, it's now, fun. Now, do you have a boy or two boys? Yeah. I have three, oh, 14, four, and two. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, dude. I had him young. When I started Cardinal, I left the hospital to start cold calling the day after. And so when you guys were talking about some of these guys who put 20 years, I put 14, you know, gone through raising babies and stuff. So it is the baby and the and the exit must be significant. And we have heard the same thing. You guys are saying like it needs, you need to have your own unique value propositions. The marketing's got to be on point. You got to have your own marketing machine. You got to have talent acquisition on point. Very useful, very helpful. Craig, Steve, Thank you for joining us on Ignite, guys. If you want to find them, Prominent Healthcare Partner, you'll find them on LinkedIn. You can search for them. And please, 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 before you go to market, go ping them. These are the guys to know in the healthcare investment banking space. Steve, Craig, thank you for joining us on Ignite. I very much thank appreciate Alex. it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ignite. Interested in keeping up with the latest trends in healthcare marketing? Subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review. For more healthcare marketing tips, visit our blog at cardinaldigitalmarketing.com.